When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter two. At this time, I was in college. So I was working and doing the college life thing, going to parties, you know, being a typical 19 year old. My parents and I's relationship honestly was better being apart, being away from them, having my own space, and just seeing them, you know, on my terms. Eventually, my best friend Rachel and I got our own place, and I've never gone back to my parents since that day. I moved out of my friend's dad's house into my own apartment. I remember my dad even helping me move in and just feeling this complete sense of total freedom and total adult responsibility for once in my life. I was paying my own bills. I was paying for my apartment. I was paying for everything. And honestly, it felt amazing. I was going to school full-time and also working full-time. So I took care of myself by myself. My parents' rule was that if I lived on campus at the college that I went to, that they would pay for my housing. This was another way to totally control me because they knew, you know, you couldn't drink on campus, you couldn't have alcohol um, or anything like that, and you were essentially watched over. But I chose to get a full-time job and go to school full-time and pay for my apartment on my own so I could just have complete freedom from that as well and, you know, just kind of get out from under their thumb and finally cut that cord. This phase of my life, I would say, built up a lot of grit, a lot of resilience, a lot of busting ass because I chose to get a full-time job to go to school full-time so I could pay for my apartment. So I really had to be really good about my time management skills, you know, balancing a job, homework, school, my social life. And so I really, I have no regrets about choosing that decision. Looking back, that was definitely the best decision that I could have made for my future self. So I am so proud of myself for going through all of that. It actually seems quite easy. I remember being at the pool all the time. On the weekends, we would go to the larger universities and just tailgate and go out and go to parties all while having a job, having homework, and still paying all the bills. Somehow I was able to manage all that, but it felt so freeing. It was one of the most fun times of my life. I was actually recently looking back at my old Facebook albums, whenever we could only have 60 pictures per album and you would just take selfies with every single person at the party and then upload all your selfies from your, you know, Canon camera. So, but I was looking at those pictures and like, I just looked so happy. I mean, smiling from ear to ear and just having so much fun. I can just remember honestly the sense and ease of everything. I mean, I just don't ever remember having any problems, any struggles, really. Everything was just fun. And I enjoyed my life so much. I enjoyed my waitressing jobs. I made friends. I enjoyed, you know, meeting people through college and being invited to parties and always having somewhere to go, always having somewhere to be. And honestly, it was just the time of my life. I think my college years were 
my most fun years out of my 32 years of life so far. So I really try to think back to those times and try to harness those feelings and emotions and how was I feeling? You know, what was I doing? Like I wasn't under so much stress and like, how can I relieve some of the stress I have now that really is, is just stress I don't need to carry? Um, because I just remember those feelings of just, like I said, I was just so happy all the time and you could totally tell I was so confident, just really enjoying life. Let me just say I got all of my partying years done before I was 21. (laughs) On my 21st birthday, of course I went out. Of course I wanted to celebrate and make it a pretty big deal. But honestly, I was just like, I was so over partying at that point. I had done so much in college and even had started in high school. So, you know, I really did start to calm down when I was 21. A week after I turned 21, I met someone who I would go on to date for two and a half years, get engaged to, and eventually marry. When I was 21, and you live in the Bible Belt, like Oklahoma, I thought at the time that I was ready. I was like, yes, this is the next phase of my life. Let's grow up. Let's move on. Forget about the past. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a serious adult. I'm putting my party years behind me. And I'm, I met this amazing man that you know, I could eventually see myself being with for a long time. And that's just what you do in the Bible Belt. I feel like, you know, everyone's on these timelines. You go to high school, you go to a really good college, you graduate, you have either met your fiance in college or you meet them right after in your career. You get married very early. You start to have babies. And like, that is just how the timeline goes, you guys. And there's so many expectations around that living in that part of the country. So I was dating this guy and honestly, he wanted to take it really slow. He was older. He had been engaged before. He'd been burned in the past. I was just so unaware of anything going on. I mean, I was just like, no, this is the phase. This is the timeline. I have to stick to the timeline. And when he wanted to take it really slow, it just really bothered me. And I kind of forced things. And looking back, I wasn't completely satisfied with myself. Maybe at the time, I was just like, I thought I needed this relationship to work um, in order, like I said, to stick to the timeline. So little did I know I was taking all of my past trauma into my relationship. The dissociation with myself, the lack of self-awareness, the inability to communicate my feelings, my needs, my wants. So while it was a good relationship, it was fine. I could tell at the beginning he was scared. Like I said, he had been burned. So I felt like I was being more upfront with him, but in a roundabout way. I mean, I would never open my mouth and tell him how I felt or what I wanted, but I would just act in that way, if that makes sense. Like I even remember we were 11 months into dating and I was away on vacation with my family. And the way that I was trying to make this official was I sent him a Facebook. It was like a request to where it was like asking, like I said I was in a relationship with him. And so he had to confirm that relationship in order for it to show up on his Facebook. So like that was my way of saying, hey, are we serious? Are we like, what? where's our relationship at? You know, where is this going? Instead of just simply asking him, I sent him a Facebook request. And I remember being on vacation and him just not even acknowledging it or responding to it. And I think I like texted him and I was like, did you get that thing on Facebook I sent you? <laughs> I mean, you know, just so immature. I was 21. 
I had just turned 21. And well, yeah, like I said, I was just, that is how I went about my, about things. Just no communication, no in-depth conversation. It was just like, okay, well, it's just a known fact. This is where we are in our relationship because of the timing, not because of the, uh, you know, the connection or anything like that. In each stage of my life, I'm carrying around this huge weight, right? You know, Everything that I went through in my past, my relationship with my parents, some traumatic instances, you know, that were never even talked about. We never talked about them as a family and, you know, openly expressed our feelings about them. So I'm carrying around this huge weight or baggage, you may call it, and it's just not a good thing. It's affecting everything around my life and how I live. I had no boundaries. I couldn't express my feelings. I would get anxiety around a lot of things and not know how to stick up for myself. I took a lot of crap. I let it slide and I I really just wanted to move on. All of this from my childhood and the way that I saw my parents act and the behaviors that I witnessed and the programming that I started to loop in my own mind. I knew I didn't want to be or act like my mom in some ways, you know, not in her good quality ways. She had a lot of great qualities, but subconsciously I was like her in most of those ways that I didn't want to be. We went on to date for two and a half years before he proposed in Mexico. We got engaged in Mexico on a trip we were on. And honestly, I was in complete shock. You hear or see of brides or (laughs) women that kind of act shocked, but really they picked out the ring. So they're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, act very surprised. But I honestly was shocked. And I was shocked because we had never talked about marriage. We had never talked about kids. We had never talked about the future. Like I said, you guys, like this is just how it was. And I was already really bad, but he was equally as bad, if not worse, at communication. And talk about that more later, but my gosh, like you just don't get married. You don't get engaged when you don't even know if your values or morals or anything align or your goals. And so, yeah, he proposed. And like I said, I was in shock. I was I was happy. I really did love this person and I was still on my timeline, even though I wouldn't have waited that long. But, you know, I found out that he had already asked my dad and did the whole thing. And at the time I was excited. I thought it was the next step in life. And especially living in Oklahoma City, that's just the normal. So you go to college, you get engaged, you get married, and you have the babies all before you're 27. But I always always knew I was different and that I wanted different things. I didn't exactly know. I couldn't pinpoint the exact thing, but you know, when you just have this desire and a burning sensation in your body at all times, and you're constantly thinking about bigger and better things, that was me at all times. I always had this burning desire in me to be more. It just got lost and shoved down so far that I didn't exactly know what it looked like, but I knew that it was there. We got engaged in May of 2013 and started making the plans as you typically do. I actually did everything in one day by myself on a computer. I was really not into the whole huge wedding planning. We knew we wanted a destination wedding. So we did it in Florida and I just got on the Florida wedding website and I just was like, okay, I want this date. We have this many people. These are my colors. These are the things that I want. I just want white chairs. Like it was very, very, very basic. I mean, even all the way up in to the day of the wedding, we just wanted to do our favorite foods. So my favorite food is pizza and his favorite food is was sandwiches. 
And so the day of the wedding, me and some friends just went to Subway and we said, hey, we need this many sandwiches for the catering. And then we went to a pizza shop and we said, hey, we need this many pizzas. We'll come pick them up later. That is the extent of the planning that I did. So the planning of the wedding was all the way from May 2013. We had our wedding date scheduled for May of 2014. So a whole year of engagement bliss, I guess you could call it. We lived together at the time. We we ended up moving in together before we got married and everything was going really well. I would say the second half of 2013 was going really, really well. I had a successful career, was really into fitness. I was working out all the time. I, I just felt like my life was where it should be. This is what you do. You have a career, you have friends. And honestly, I thought it was going really well. My life, my family's life, completely took a 180 tailspin in 2014. This is where things get very complicated. They get very sad. They get very hard. And my memory on this year, the next two years, is honestly such a blur. I had a hard time putting this in a timeline because I honestly just couldn't remember the events and the order of the events, but I'm going to try to explain this situation to the best of my ability that I possibly can. And I just want to remind everyone that this is my point of view. This is my personal opinion. This is not to say it's fact, but this is what I witnessed, the feelings I had, the thoughts I had about this situation. I just want to get my, my point of view out there. So January of 2014, I'm switching the story over to mostly my dad. My dad went in for an outpatient surgery. It was supposed to be very basic. He got a spur or something off of the back of his heel is what it was. And it was outpatient surgery. And he just came home the same day. He was on crutches. He just had to take it easy. And they gave him medicine. They gave him Percocet. And as just prescribed, he started taking the medicine as he should. Within a week, he just said that he was just feeling very depressed. He felt like there was a cloud over him, that he was just very gloomy. That's really all he said is like, I just, I don't know. I'm just so down. I, I just feel depressed. And, and then it just kind of kept going on. And then all of a sudden, he said that he came out of it. He was like, okay, well, that was weird. But, you know, I feel better now. I don't feel like that anymore. I can walk around. I'm not on my crutches anymore. So that was it. Then things start to get very strange around my parents' house. My dad is just not being himself whatsoever. He starts to say that he cannot sleep, that days would go by, and he said he might have slept an hour. Um, the whole month of February, he claimed he didn't sleep. I would go over to the house and he would be like a zombie. I'm talking walking dead besides the skeletal and the blood, a zombie around the house. It was just very strange. No one could really understand or comprehend what was happening. He started going to all these like holistic kind of spirit, very spiritual doctors. And they kind of just told him his world had just been turned upside down. And they're very religious people. And so my dad is a religious man and he took that very seriously. And he thought, oh my God, my life just 
flipped upside down. That's what he just kept saying. He said someone told him his life just got flipped upside down. He started acting very depressed, very gloomy again. He would call us over to the house and his story about this is that he was in his office. He had a home office at the house. When he was just in his dark, depressed days, when he was on that on the Percocet, he would just stood up and he claimed that a dark cloud, a dark form of some sort came in and entered his body. That is what he told us. Some dark being, like a black dark cloud came over him and that's whenever he started feel very depressed. Whenever he told us that he was feeling better after the medicine, things just honestly got worse. I would go over to the house and I remember one time me and my ex-husband, we just picked up my dad and just took him on a drive because all he did all day was sit at the house, actually not even sit at the house, just lay in his bed at the house. I remember the house was so cold. It was just like the gloomiest place ever when it used to be really warm and bubbly and inviting. And we would go over there and it'd just be silent. My parents would just not be doing anything. And I remember just taking my dad on a drive around Lake Hefner one day. He was just in the front seat and we just had the window down and he just he just was like a shell and he just was looking or he wasn't looking out the window. He was his eyes were closed and his head was just peeking out of the window and the his, the wind was going through his hair and I just looked over at him and I'm like, "Well, oh, what is happening? Who is this person? I don't I don't know this person." It was just a very very strange time for my family. My he lost a ton of weight. My mom was trying to keep it together as much as she could while trying to help my dad figure out what was happening. They went to so many different kinds of doctors. I even remember they went to so I think he's just a family physician that is actually related to my dad somehow. It's Dr. Conradi. The doctor had him take a test, like a almost like an IQ test, I guess. But my dad had claimed going in there that he had none. He hadn't slept in a month. He said, "I have not slept in a month." And honestly, he looked like he hadn't slept in a month. If you can picture someone not sleeping at all for weeks upon end, that's what my dad looked like. But he took this test, and it was completely normal. The doctor said, "Your answers are." the exact same as if a person had been getting eight hours of sleep every night. My grandparents from Sarasota ended up coming into town because of all of this, knowing what to do, not knowing what to do with my parents or my mom and try to help and support her as much as possible. I mean, they were really the only support system that she had that she fully felt like she could be vulnerable with them and tell them everything that was going on. My mom definitely shut out a lot of people during this time. Like I said in the beginning, I mean, she couldn't bear to tell anyone that there was anything going wrong in our family. If something was going wrong, it was just, all right, we're going to hide this until it's over and then go back to our cheerful, perfect, happy ways. None of her friends were coming over. All these people that she claimed to be friends with and always seeing all the time just weren't even coming over at all. So I knew that she felt most comfortable with her parents, my grandparents. So they ended up coming into town. I will never forget the day that we essentially had an intervention with my dad. (sighs) I don't remember the exact day, but I remember my dad had lost a lot of weight. He somehow got dressed. He took a shower. He got dressed. He actually looked really well that day. He looked way better. He had on a black shirt and some khaki shorts, very different than his white tee and sweatpants. He didn't look that bad. Room was filled 
with people, my grandparents, all the siblings, I think a couple of his friends, a couple of our friends that really knew my parents very well. My grandpa led the conversation who has since passed. He was just essentially saying, this has to stop. You have to do something about this. Everyone around you is being affected by this. Your kids, your friends, family. We just had this super long conversation. That is the first time that we sent my dad to a mental hospital. One of my brother's friends suggested going to St. Anthony's in Oklahoma City downtown. That day, God, just seems so long because when we finally agreed or when he finally agreed to to go. It was he was reluctant at first, but no one knew what else to do. We felt like we had exhausted all efforts, everything that we could do. He agreed to go. My dad at the time owned his own business in the oil and gas industry. He had a well plugging business, if anyone knows what that is. He went into his office and sat me and my brother down and just explained his business to us. And it was because we were gonna have to try to keep it running while all this was going on. Apparently he was slacking on it. He would work a little bit. But things were just kind of going downhill in his business, and people were trying to get a hold of him, and invoices weren't being paid, and things had to be done. And so he sat us down. And looking back, he just seemed so normal at that time. I don't know what was going on in his head. I have no idea. No one will ever know. But he sat us down for a good long while and just explained the process of his business, how everything works, what everything means. That was just so strange to me. Hours later, we took him to St. Anthony's. I don't remember if I even went or not. Honestly, gosh, it's such a blur. I don't remember if I drove with them to the hospital. I want to say I didn't. I just remember someone went with him, obviously, did the whole check-in process. And I remember the process being super long and someone just being like, yeah, we're still here. We have to ask him so many questions. And my dad went to a mental hospital. Never in my wildest dreams would I ever think my dad would be checking himself into a mental hospital. After all the ways that we've grown up and how strong he was and how he was always our leader of the family, I mean, it was just crazy. So the next day, all the family obviously gets together and we're just in the state of confusion and not even knowing what to say to each other. My mom was heartbroken, obviously, and she just could barely keep herself together. Thankfully, our grandparents were there and they're really good with her and just kind of broke up the tension between everything. That first couple of days, first week was really hard. So what happened is I don't know what my dad was thinking. Again, I don't know what was going on, but he refused to sign the HIPAA form when you check into the hospital, you know, giving your family access to what is going on with you, essentially. We couldn't call up there and ask any questions about him. We couldn't talk to him. He refused to sign the HIPAA agreement for maybe even a week. We could not get access to my dad. And then one day he just signed it. I'm pretty sure we all went up, you know, to the hospital. Oh God, if you've ever been to a mental hospital, it's just honestly the worst place I could ever imagine being. Even walking down the halls before you even enter it, it's just the most sad place I I I ever besides jail want to witness. So my dad's in a mental hospital. We are visiting him at a mental hospital. I'm not exactly sure on the timeline here. I'm pretty sure he was in the mental hospital end of February or early March. And I'm still wedding planning. I still have a wedding in May of 2014. So my dad's in a mental hospital. We finally get to go visit him. Still in complete shock and disassociation with everything that's going on. But I'm pretty sure they just pump him full of meds. I'll never forget one night I get a call from a random number and I answer it. 
and it's my dad calling from the hospital. And he sounds like he honestly had been running miles. Like he sounded out of breath. He sounded very anxious. He sounded very worried and very scared. The only thing he said was, Kayla, the rapture is coming tonight. The rapture is coming tonight. And I just said, okay, dad, all right, you're in a mental hospital right now. So from the get-go, my dad always thought that this was a spiritual attack on him. It was the good versus the evil, God versus the devil. Satan was trying to attack him. And so the only thing that he could talk about was spiritual warfare, or like I said, the rapture, and just being so paranoid about all of this stuff that is going to happen in the near future. And then he would call us and then freak us out about it. Try to tell us that the rapture is coming that night on a Sunday night. Okay, I'm going to go to bed and lay my head down like I always do. And if the rapture does come, so be it. So from the get-go, my dad always turned this into something spiritual. It was not, I don't have a mental illness. I'm not mentally ill. I am being spiritually attacked. The devil is trying to take me down. And this was, has and always will be his story about this whole situation. During this time, I still have a wedding to plan. I'm still getting married in May of 2014. And all of this is happening into February, beginning of March. I mean, luckily, our heart already had it all planned. I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I was really planning a huge wedding, but this is where a lot of issues with my marriage started to come up. At the time, my ex-husband actually had a job to where he would travel two weeks at a time And so he would be gone for two weeks and then he'd be home for two weeks and not have to work while he was home. So at the time, we thought that was a good situation. He's making a lot of money, but working half the time. And so when he's home, he can be fully present for those two weeks. When really, looking back, this actually might have been the worst case scenario for someone who's engaged who already can't express their feelings and emotions or communicate. Adding in the trauma that they are going through with their family, I mean, it was just chaos waiting to happen. My dad got out of the hospital, obviously, at some point. I'm not even sure or remember how that even happened or when it happened, but he obviously came back home. Honestly, didn't get much better. My mom started to get worse, way worse. I'm not sure the conversations that were going on behind closed doors in that house, and I'll never know. We will never know the conversations going on or what was being said or what was not being said. So then my mom, seeing all of this happen to my dad and the slow decline of my dad's mental health, she herself became super depressed, super anxious. She even checked herself into a mental hospital. My mom went to a mental hospital right after my dad had gone to mental hospital. What is going on? Never in my 24 years had I seen my parents even barely be sick. And now all of a sudden they're going to mental hospitals and taking all this crazy medicine and being around crazy people. I remember just visiting both my mom and my dad and separately and just not a place where they belong. God, just crazy people walking around like they are tweaked out. And it's very sad to watch. You know, it's not always their fault. And mental health is a, is a real, real thing. And it's just a very sad place to be because once you're in there, you typically get stuck. It's like being in the system of the prison system or the justice system. Once you get in once, it's kind of like you're just stuck in there. The wedding was approaching closer and closer. My parents were not doing well at all. One day I went over to my parents' house. My mom was laying on the couch in the fetal position and she was uncontrollably shaking. Had so much physical anxiety that she was uncontrollably shaking her body. It would not stop. And I went over to her and I sat down next to her and 
all she could say was, I'm sorry. And that's just how my mom was. Like, no matter what she was going through, she felt bad that she might have been causing an inconvenience or hurting someone else more than she herself was hurting. And I just was like, I don't know what to do with you. And her parents were there. It was just something every day. My mom started to develop a lot of physical anxiety and weird little things she would do. She would constantly rub the back of her neck. Like all of a sudden, she would like rub the back of her neck all the time. That was like an anxious, you know, symptom. And I remember that day, dad was like, can we come, can you talk to me over here? So we walked out the front door and I remember my dad telling me, he was like, I don't think we're going to make it to your wedding. And I just remember bawling and being like, you have to be there. You are the father of the bride. You have to walk me down the aisle. I said, you guys have to be there. No matter how you get there, I don't care, but you have to be there. The weeks leading up to the wedding were not good. Like I said, my husband was away for two weeks and here for two weeks and we were just getting so much more disconnected because of my trauma going on within my family and I couldn't even, I was slowly declining mentally and not all the way there and just not knowing what to do and it was just a very, very, very hard time. So we almost didn't get married. He was out of town. I had gone out like usual with my friends. It was one of my friend's birthdays. We had a party bus and I typically went out alone anyway because when he was in town, we typically didn't go out. We just hung out by ourselves at the house. And so when he was gone, it was really my time to be free. And I kind of felt single for two weeks and then felt married for two weeks. So it was a constant back and forth. And it was very confusing being alone for two weeks. And all my friends are there. I was just going out like I was single. So we went out one night, had too much to drink. I heard about some people over at a friend's house of mine. It was a guy friend. And this particular guy friend, my ex-husband was not particularly fond of because of our past, really his past and kind of who he was around town. She was like, hey, there's people over at my house. Like, you want to come over? It was like 1.30 a.m. I was like, sure. So I went over there. I didn't tell my husband at the time that I went. I was like, I'll just stop by and then I'll go home. It's on the way home. Well, I just continued to drink. I'm not sure if I was drinking my sorrows away, if I was was trying to disconnect from the world, but I was having fun and I was drinking. This particular weekend, it just so happened that his family was in town and they were staying at our house. You know, not a big deal because I was like, I'm uh, I'm going to be home later. 4 a.m. rolls around. They had noticed that I was not home yet. Called my ex husband at the time, but called him and was like, hey, just letting you know, Kayla hasn't come home. And so I start getting phone calls from him at 4am and I'm at this house party knowing that I can't tell him I'm at this house party because of whose house it was. Yeah, I just didn't answer the calls. I ignored them. So I did end up leaving and I did get home safely and I crawled into bed. I had lied and told my fiance that I had been there the whole time. I just lied and I kept up with that lie. And the next day he was like, I know you're lying. I know you're lying. My family was at the house. You were not there. I finally just admitted. I was like, okay, fine. I was at so-and-so's house. I'm sorry. He had a party. I wanted to go. I stopped by and I ended up staying way later. I mean, he was furious. Furious. So as he should be, I'm lying to him. I'm somewhere I probably shouldn't be anyway. (laughs) The next day was my bridal shower. 
The next day was my bridal shower. He's out of town. He's supposed to be flying into town the next day to attend the bridal shower, like meet me there at the end of the party. And it was just not a good situation. I mean, he was trying to call off the wedding. He's like, I'm not coming to that bridal shower. The wedding is off. This is like two or three weeks before our wedding is supposed to happen. I had to talk him down from a ledge. He came home. I was at the party. He didn't end up showing up. I did not think he was going to show up, but he did very, very awkward just knowing everything that had transpired the day before and how I knew he didn't want to be there. He didn't even want to marry me, but I'm accepting all these gifts from people that are obviously supporting our marriage. We did end up getting married in May of 2014 in Florida. Fortunately, both of my parents made it by the skin of their teeth to Florida. I'm believe my grandmother drove my mother in the car, which later I heard was just a mess, just completely filled with anxiety and anxiety ridden the whole way there. And then people had to help my dad. He flew there with other people. And so they made it out there. And so that's really all that I really wanted was for them to be able to make it. Looking back, you know, that was a fun week. We had about 75 of our closest friends and family there. We just hung out at the beach. We went out at night. It was just a really fun time looking back. You know, when you're surrounded by people you love, it's kind of hard not to have a good time. Although there was this underlying awkwardness just with everything going on. I mean, the issues with my parents, the fact that my fiance and I had just had this huge blowout and probably shouldn't have even gotten married. We were already so bad at communicating. And the fact that we never talked about marriage, we never had any in-depth conversations. We were just skimming the surface with what we thought we were supposed to be doing. And we just got married and it was like, yay, we're married, you know? And it was just never like this in love feeling that I really had for him. And I don't know if he ever had it for me either. So we're already starting off our marriage with a rocky start. There's already so much going on behind the scenes with me and dealing with my own trauma. We didn't really have a honeymoon phase. We just went straight back into our reality of this huge mess going on. And honestly, you had to go back and work on things that had just happened between us for the months leading up to that. And so we tried to just go about normal life. You know, we're married now. Woohoo! We're married. So (laughs) did the whole married life things. 2014 is when I actually really got into my physical fitness. I actually ended up doing a fitness competition in November of 2014. So I was already well prepared for that. I was already putting my mind and my focus into the gym. That was really my escape from dealing with everything. In Oklahoma, at least, a lot of my friends I was surrounding myself with were doing the fitness competitions at the time. And so about eight, seven weeks out from the largest show in Oklahoma that was a national qualifier, I went to one of the most prominent trainers in the city that was known for you know training bikini girls. And I was like, hey, so from right here, would I be able to do a show in about six weeks? And he was like, you have great symmetry. You're already pretty lean. We would just need to work on your legs and your butt and your back. And then obviously lean out a lot. For six weeks, man, I put all of my focus into that show. I was up and doing fasted cardio every morning, meal prepping, eating my meals every couple hours, training with him two or three times a week, doing posing classes. And it was honestly the best escape I had for the, during that time in my life. The only person that came to support me was him. None of my family wanted to come. 
I don't think any of my friends end up coming except for the friends that I had in that fitness world. You know, I had met some people and I did a show with a couple of people and one of them ended up becoming one of my best friends that were still great friends today. That was kind of a sad moment. And later, my ex threw that in my face and he didn't even really agree with me doing a competition. He didn't love me being almost naked on a stage, you know, showing off and posing and turning around, sticking my butt out. But he supported me. And later he kind of threw that in my face of like, I was the only one that was there supporting you during that time. And I didn't even want to be there. But I did really well in the competition. And this is one of the most pivotal points in my life up until then and still to this very day, because that really changed the whole dynamic of where my life would take me career wise. After that, I was just so into that space, the fitness space and the health and wellness. And I was already, you know, pretty good at it, but I had a full-time job and the gym was just kind of my hobby that I did on the side. That was in November of 2014. I did that show. All of a sudden, I'm getting a lot of people just like asking me for tips, wanting to know what to eat, how to work out, all the things. And so my trainer was like, stop giving away free advice. But I was like, you have this job. I can't really, I don't have enough time to do that on the side. Well, A blessing in disguise came along January of 2015. Whole year had gone by since my dad's incident in January 2014. So much had happened with my parents in and out of mental hospitals, me getting married, me almost not getting married, trying to suppress all that, all those feelings, training hardcore for the fitness competition, and then boom. I lose my job, my corporate job that was really providing me really great money and that was able to sustain the lifestyle that I was living that was really supplementing my hobby of the fitness uh, and the health and wellness. So I ended up losing that job and I wasn't super mad because I didn't love the job. I didn't love the actual job. I loved the schedule that it provided. I loved the money that it provided because it was really great money. I was could work on my own time. I traveled for it. And it was just a really good job for a long time. But I could feel that slowly dwindling down. I could feel my passion for something else really start to come into play. So looking back, it was a blessing in disguise. I was like, okay, well, where do I I go from here? And I remember there was a little bit of a point between figuring out what I was going to do. I I knew that I couldn't go back to that type of job and I couldn't just get another job in the same field because of the economy. So it was that whole entire business, the economy was affecting. So it's not like I could just go get another job at another company. It was just the entire field in and of itself was really laying off everyone. And so there was a point in my life where at this point, my ex-husband and I were actually in counseling. Finally, (laughs) we probably should have done that way before we even got married, but we were just having issues. I mean, marriage is already hard. We kind of went backwards after getting married instead of going forward. And we were in counseling. We were in couples counseling. It was very, very difficult, very awkward. And I just remember, me being out of a job and I knew I wanted to pursue fitness somehow. I didn't exactly know how to do it quite yet, but I'm one of those people that I will figure out a way. I'll figure out a way to do it. I just have to start. And I just remember having these conversations with my ex and just being like, I want to do this. And he was like, how are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know. But I remember being in a counseling session and this topic kept coming up because he didn't want to help me. He didn't want to support me when I was down. He didn't want to help me back up. Obviously, he had a job and I had a job. And when I lost my job, typically in a marriage, you say, okay, honey, 
what are we going to do about this? Let's put our heads together. Let's figure it out. But we were so just living in our own worlds that it was really very separate. And we just came together on some issues and not everything. Remember sitting in a counseling session and he verbatim said, I do not want to support her unless she has babies. Unless she's going to be a mom, I don't want to support her. Those were his words. And I looked at him and I was shocked. At that moment, I knew this wasn't going to work. If this person does not have my back 100% of the time, he is not for me. That was really a painful moment to experience because that just made me feel like that was my only worth or job in this world, especially as a woman, to be only considered valuable if you have kids or you're a mom or you're a wife or you're a caretaker to the husband. And that was just not even me at all from the get-go. And for him to not even know that about me brought up serious issues. 